I'm a handshake and take it. I'm a spud with a plan. I'm a miracle that's greater day by day. I ain't your average quitter. I don't put up with golf. I'm doing the best I can. The Trump Tayator. Good morning, my fellow Trump taters. It is a bright, sunshiny day today, and the good news is, is I'm not solo. <laughs> so I have Dallin Johnson, my co-host, back with me today. How are you doing, Dallin? Good, good. It's good to be back, just like riding a bike, right? Oh, it, it, it comes back to you. <laughs> <laughs> we also have one of my favorite Trump taters here in Ogden, is Randy Water, police chief. So thank you for coming on, Randy. Oh, it's a privilege. It's a privilege and an honor. Thanks. And uh, we've been talking about this election now the whole time I've been in isolation. And, and uh, so we're going to give it a pass today and not talk about the election and where we're going with that, even though there's all kinds of great information to discuss. Uh, we're going to save that for Monday, but just know there's still hope out there. And, uh, and we're going to just keep pressing forward on making sure that our great president, Donald J. Trump, is elected to office and that uh, that's not stolen from him. So anyway, Dallin, I'll let you get started on the subject we're going to start on today. Well, uh, just on that, you know, since I haven't talked to election with you in a while, um, I just saw a video yesterday. It was pretty wild of the, the voting thing with the, the briefcase and the. And the four undoing. suitcases yeah. coming out from the table. That? Yeah. That's crazy. So <laughs> anyways, there's my there's my little political spree I had to just go on real quick. But, um, no, I'm excited to talk about, uh, I guess, the subject that's closer to home uh, for people that have um, either experienced it firsthand or seen the effects firsthand. But um, I'm excited to talk about some uh, PTSD, um, why it, it's, it's an issue that is coming up now and is so relevant in our life, um, especially this year. I, I feel that, you know, you take away... Um, all the COVID and, and everything and, and, and uh, the struggles we've had from businesses closing and, and economy doing poorly and, and even the election, you know, and all the distractions, mm-hmm. you take that away and you realize there's still people that are doing their everyday jobs. They're still in the military, in the police force, um, that their reality has either heightened, you know, th- th- their fear, I, I guess, in reality is, is either heightened or they've seen firsthand the negative effects of, of everything crashing down, you know? So we have, um, we have another epidemic that's going on within our nation, um, aside from just the virus itself, and that's it's stress. It's, it's not just stress, it's, it's uh, depression, you know? It's all these other factors that lead into some form of PTSD. And I, I, I full-heartedly believe that, um, you know, I, I know you can suffer from PTSD after, you know, you go on a tour or, or in the military, you, you, you uh, have an uh, experience in the, you know, as a fireman or as a police chief or anything like that. Any drastic experience I, I know can, can trigger those thoughts, but I feel like we're, we're having PTSD and cases of PTSD now from normal individuals that are feeling the stress, the fear-mongering, the... Um, um, the the isolation, isolation. yeah, the, the being locked indoors, um, not being able to work, um, financial issues. So, I think PTSD is a real life matter now for regular folks, and not just these heroes that you know are, are in brave situations or in, in heightened situations. I feel like it's a more normal thing now that we need to pay attention, you know, if, on, on the average citizen more than just you know the, the the ones that we expect it from. I guess. Mm-hmm. 
So, Randy, you've kind of dealt firsthand with post-traumatic stress disorders. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it's impacted? Sure. Um, you know, I come from a generation, and, and, and for your listeners, you know, besides being a police chief, I'm a retired colonel from Army Special Forces with 33 years, 10 months of, of service, active duty, and National Guard time, multiple trips to the war in uh, counterinsurgency and counterterrorism, leading troops uh, in combat. And so you combine, you know, 36 years of law enforcement in the city here and then and then that those duties and responsibilities. And I've, you know, firsthand experienced a wide variety of, of things that lead to um, significant uh, mental trauma. Uh, you know, PTSD and the reactions related to PTSD and PTSD is really nothing more than a normal response to abnormal stimulus and abnormal situations. And, and the, the issue becomes is how we handle it and how we manage it, how we deal with it, and what, how we interdict it uh, if we can. We're getting far better than that. You know, this, this 20 years of war that we've been in, we've had significant um, learning occur about it. In 2007, uh, coming out of Baghdad, uh, late 2007, I came within seconds of taking my own life, um, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't know at the time. I didn't realize. You know, how did I get there? Um, and so, what what happened was is that uh, that uh, I I had good friends, uh, Dr. Dave Klinger out of uh, St. Louis, uh, Missouri uh, University, of St. Louis. Uh, who had been a former LAPD cop, and he'd written on the subject. He had doctorate in, in clinical psychology. And so I called Dave, and, and we began uh, working through things and understanding things. And I began to study it. But, but it, it, it hasn't left me. The last, uh, the last two years, I've been uh, in, a, in a dark place struggling, even though most... And that's the thing about PTSD. You won't see it. You don't see it in me. You don't know what it's doing, and that's what's happening around us. We don't recognize what's happening with people. People put on very good fronts. You know, you see what I let you see. Um, and the person who's, you know, happy and smiling all the time, and then you hear about a suicide, that individual, you wonder what, what could have gone wrong. Well, we don't know what's going on mm-hmm. inside people. And so uh, I, began, I began studying it, and uh, in fact, as I said, the last uh, over two years, I've been kind of at a dark place and descending again, and so I'm back in counseling, and it's going very, very well. And one of the things that, I, that has happened is, is we've, we've reduced significantly the stigma. Um, years ago, previous generation, my generation, young cops, so on and so forth, if somebody heard you were in therapy, they'd put you on a desk and take your gun away. Mm-hmm. You know, if a soldier, particularly a combat armed soldier in one of the combat units, if they found out you were getting counseling, um, they'd transfer you to a support unit and <clears throat> take away your ability to participate. And you'd lose your friends. You'd lose your circle of buddies. Uh, you'd lose those people with whom you bonded and, and there were not outcomes. So, and just the stigma of being weak was something that, that we fought. Uh, and one of the things I've learned over time is uh, and I've come to understand that it's not a weakness to ask for help. And that's one of the things we've got to get out to people because uh, I'm looking at the results of what's going on as part of the coronavirus, particularly in parts of the country where they're into significant lockdowns. I see California is going back into a lockdown um, where businesses are failing and people are feeling abnormal amounts of stress that they haven't felt in years past. People are losing loved ones who are dying in isolation. You know, what does that do in, in your psyche and those kinds of things? And so I thought maybe we're talking a little bit about my past and my walk that, uh, that maybe could help somebody. 
I think he's right on the, you're right, Chief, on the stigma. Um, when I was in the military, we talked about this story the other day, but when I was in the military, um, we had a pilot that committed suicide. Um, he was one of our, our mm-hmm. helicopter pilots, a well-known guy, um, you know, was an active person in the, in the squadron or in our command. No one ever guessed anything was wrong. No. Um, his best friend had the, the comment, I remember, at, at our, our you know, uh, meeting, our all-hands meeting mm-hmm. um, that was in our hangar. He said, you know, being his, his brother in, in the military is one thing, but being a friend was another, you know. And even as a friend, his pride was so high that he never once saw even a sliver of any type of... Um, like you said, the, the, the signs, you know, the depression, the stress or the, you know, the, the struggling or anything like that. He, he just had this front and it was from his point of view, it was because one, he didn't want to lose his ability to fly. That was the one thing that, mm-hmm. you know, kept his joy in, in his military <laughs> service was that he was a sweet pilot on a sweet aircraft, you know, like, mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, um, that was one thing. The other thing was, is that you hit it, that stigma was there. And it, it still is there to some degree that if, if you're struggling, tough it up, you know, straighten up th- that upper mm-hmm. lip, you know, mm-hmm. get through it, you yep. push through it. Um, everyone's struggling, everyone's having a hard time. They're away from their family. Of course, you, you're going to have a hard time. So that stigma is really a, what I see as is, is being that barrier for people to let down their guard and just say, <laughs> I need to be a lot more humble than I've been because I need the help. Yeah, well, and the ability to ask for help, um, the courage. It, it, it is takes. courage, you're right. It is courage. Right. The courage to ask for help. You know, those of us on the, you know, out on the tip of the spear, you know, Special Forces um, and some of the Tier 1 units, Delta Force, SEAL Team 6, um, Air Force Combat Controllers, Navy SEALs, uh, on the SEAL teams, uh, those kinds of things, we, we get very wrapped up and we develop out of necessity and survivability, a a warrior ethos. And while that supports us and keeps us functioning to a high degree in combat, it can also be detrimental to our psyche when we need help. Yeah. Um, so, so, so the courage is, is, is not only a hard thing to admit to other people, but a lot of times it's a hard thing just to admit to yourself. You know, even if you're not being vocal about it, internalizing it and realizing that there's an issue there is sometimes the hardest part. We'll be back with the Trump Tater podcast and continue our talks with PTSD with Chief Randy Watt. Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. 
Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Sebastian Gorka here. Maybe you've been hearing about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that helps a person's body deal with inflammation and pain. You've heard all the wonderful testimonials. Well, I have my own testimonial. For many years, my lower back pain was becoming a serious problem. The short story is, I finally gave it a try, and now I'm out of pain too. So if you're in pain, you can order the three-week quick start for just $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com. Hi, this is Dennis Prager, and we just launched a new PragerTopia membership called PragerTopia Unlimited. Members can listen to any and all audio programs that are in the Dennis Prager store. That's over 400 programs to choose from, show segments, talks, lectures, courses, even full access to all five books of my Torah teaching. For a limited time, an annual PragerTopia Unlimited membership is only $119. Join PragerTopia Unlimited today. Go to PragerTopia.com. If your credit card bills have gotten out of hand and you care about your credit, call Consolidated Credit now. If the interest rates on your credit cards are so high, it'll take years to get out of debt. Call Consolidated Credit now. They've helped over 6 million people with credit card debt. Without destroying your credit, they can consolidate your debts into one lower payment, reduce your interest rates, and get you out of debt fast. The program works. Call Consolidated Credit now. Call 800-406-0046. That's 800-406-0046. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services, Inc., 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM 1492, Oregon DM 80092. Licensed by the Virginia State Corporation, Commission License Number DC 83. Service may adversely affect an individual's credit. Non-payment of debt may lead to additional finance charges or collections activity, including legal action, not a loan company. It's Friday and we're back with the Trump Tater Podcast. It's good to be back, Jamie. I'm excited to keep going uh, with these PTSD conversations. Um, anything you want to talk about? You're kind of quiet that first segment. Oh, I was You've had weeks, though, right? <laughs> well, j- just, you know, Randy had mentioned something about people in isolation and dying alone and everything. So my mother, I don't know if you know this, uh, she has been assisted living for the last, well, seven years, but the last eight months. She's basically been a prisoner to a large extent. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Anyway, so I get a call and it says she's tested positive for, for coronavirus, got it from her hospice aide. So I'm given a choice between bringing her home or putting her in a COVID facility where she'd die alone. And so I brought her home and she did pass away at our home. And a great blessing for me and for her to have that happen. But I think we've just let fear dominate her life so much that um, even in the process of doing that, my sister was like, are you sure you want to do that with your family? I thought, well... I'm, no, I'm not going to let my mother die alone. Mm. <laughs> and so yeah. it, 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 it's tough decisions to make, but I just feel like we've let fear dominate us so much that, yeah, there's consequences and people are going to die from coronavirus. But I just look at the flip side of the trade-offs, and I see the trade-offs being so much more detrimental than maybe even 100,000 people more dying. Um, because when you look at 8 million people in America have gone into poverty since coronavirus. Absolutely. Uh, the downside think of the to stress. That, yeah. Think of the mental stress that's occurring. I mean, we were talking earlier in the break that it's hard to get appointments with counselors because the people are just so 
um, so wound up in stress, and they're looking for, for ways to relieve it. And the World, World Health Organization agrees you. They recently came out and said, look, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids have because of the impacts of lockdowns and the economic impact that has happened worldwide, you know, kids are starving to death. Hundreds of thousands of children are starving to death in countries where they were hanging on because of, of um, you know, some amounts of, of trade and goods and commodities exchange. And uh, those things aren't happening because, uh, you know, we've locked it down. You just need to look locally. You look here on the street and, um, you know, look at what's happened. Look how many businesses have have, uh, have suffered such tremendous impacts. Well, what's going on in the minds of those who are the owners? Um, and you, you know, you, you as a business owner, you're mm-hmm. very loyal to your employees. I know that. And, and every now and then you have to tell them, look, I'm sorry, but uh, we don't have the revenue or in, the income anymore to keep you employed. There's stress involved, is there not? Oh, and I'm fortunate because I have great employees and I haven't had to let anyone go. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't been without sacrifice. Right. And uh, So and, what's your stress yeah. level like these yeah. days? Well, you know, my stress levels, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's more how sad it becomes as I drive down a street and I see how many mm-hmm. business owners haven't mm-hmm. made it. Uh, because it's not just a job. Right. It, it's your life savings. Right. It's your life work. And uh, it's your passion, specifically in the food industry. People don't, I mean, some, you know, if you have a chain restaurant and sort of things like that, there's a lot of money to be made, but the margins are so slim. So slim. That uh, you have to really be passionate. And so there's something that's connected to you on wanting to provide uh, a meal for someone. There's something Mm -hmm. about that. And a lot of restaurant owners, that's why they're doing it. And uh, so it's their purpose in life as well. Right. And so you think of the impacts and the things that happened because, you know, particularly where we had such a tremendously rapidly growing economy in the last four years and then then COVID hit. And, you know, I don't want to get political, but what does the future look like, you know, if there's a change in the administration? I think stress will you know, continue to rise. So, so what do we do about it? Because it leads to depression, and depression leads to negative thinking, and it leads to negative changes in lifestyle. And, um, you know, with with people, and I, I look I look to myself. You know, I, I tried to hide it. I tried to muscle through it. I tried to deal with it myself. I tried to do all the things wrong. Um, part of it was, um, you know, because of, of how my generation was was brought up. You know, I'm a little over six decades old, and you know, my my parents were World War II heroes. They came through the depression, and and you muscled through things. And you know, I can remember my mother, you know, as a youth crying, and my mother saying, "Is your leg cut off?" No. Then what are you crying for? Um, you know, those you know, that's the generation. You know, that's the kind of things you come through. And and then the follow-on generation was a product of ours, and we did some of the same things. We. We need to recognize that, that it's okay to ask for help, number one. And that includes asking ourselves for help. Um, I know when I was suffering, when I was in my darkest uh, times, I could not force myself to ask for help. And what was interesting was my relationships were paying a price. My family members, particularly my wonderful wife, and we've been together almost 41 years, she knows there's something wrong, but I'm not communicating. So she doesn't know what to do about that. Um, and, and she knows there are stresses and she knows there are changes. And, but I keep a smiling face on and I, you know, I keep trying to muscle through it. And then, uh, and then one day I'm within seconds of, of taking my own life. Um, so first being candid with yourself. Look, I need help. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is realizing that asking for help takes far more courage than continuing to live with pain. Um, and there are, it's amazing what 
talking will do. You know, I now understand why my father used to go down to the Canadian Legion. My father was a Canadian World War II hero. He used to go down to the Canadian Legion, and my father was a recovered alcoholic <clears throat> as a result of the, the war. And, but he would just he would go there and he would drink coffee and smoke a cigarette and he'd sit around a table with a bunch of guys from World War II. I now know why he did that. Yeah, that connection's essential. Absolutely. And we're missing mm-hmm. that connection. What concerns me today in our environment <laughs> is that, yeah, first we have to recognize that we need the help, and two, we reach out. But where do people reach out to right now? Because, you know, their connections, you know, getting together with friends or even family, mm-hmm. uh, it's tough. So how, how do you put yourself in an environment in which you can ask for that help? Yeah, and I think that's one of the costs that you were talking about earlier when we were talking about you know what COVID has done to us um, one of the things I learned in my studies and reviewing <clears throat> these issues was the power of the human touch the power of, of contact um, you know uh, I remember back early in COVID when somebody suggested one of the national people suggested that maybe we just need to stop shaking hands altogether well a handshake is far more powerful in, yeah. in what it does internally uh, than a wave or than talking across the room, you know the the you know we're doing everything in Zoom, and, you know we're doing everything in in uh, you know separate meetings. And we're stopping meetings. We're we're stopping uh, religious gatherings and doing a number of things. And all of those things are known and well well known to bring mental health. And those who who suffer from mental health deficiencies utilize those things for the power and the strength. You know, right now my my church doesn't meet. You know, they they I can watch over Zoom. Um or they and there's limited attendance, you know, at the church. But more importantly than that, we're not shaking hands, we're not hugging, we're not and the things that I do strength from are gone. You're uh, not even getting within six feet of each other. Right. Yeah. Uh, so and uh and, and and there's so much fear in society. There's so much fear I I personally believe that it's unfounded, but we've allowed a narrative to, to control fear that, it, that it's driving a lot of our thinking, a lot of our decision-making. And, and fear induces chemicals in the brain and works in an area of the brain that, where mental health doesn't reside. And we need, to, we need to change how we think. If we're suffering from depression, if we're suffering from stress, and it's becoming debilitating, we need to make a change. Well, I know you're talking about the physical touch, and uh, so in taking care of my mother, I drive my kids and my family crazy sometimes because I just am not going to live in fear. And anyway, I just got the one-minute mark, but uh, I would not wear gloves, and I wasn't going to wear the goggles. I have glasses, but I thought I'm not going to take care of my mother in her last days of life dressed in full you know, everybody else that came in put the gown on, put the goggles on, put the, I, but I, I double masked, but that was it. But I wasn't going to touch her hand with gloves every time. And because I feel like that human connection is so important, mm-hmm. both for me and for her. And uh, I just, I totally agree. And I, I've just decided, you know, when this first came out, that uh, fear was not going to rule how I would run my business and, uh, or how I was going to function in my life. And that doesn't mean I don't exercise caution. But uh, but I still try to live as normal of a life as I can. It's wild, though, that, it, um, you know, all these these measures and safety precautions that are being put out right now and that we're dealing with are an excuse or a result of what the government says is of our safety. And so I'd like to talk a little bit more when we get back about why we're losing freedoms and maybe... 
you know, having more mental problems, but our, our health is declining. Um, so anyways, when we get back with the Trump Tater podcast, we'll continue with this. USA Radio News with Lance Pry. President Trump's campaign legal effort to overturn the results of Nevada's presidential election will be decided Friday after Carson City District Court Judge James Russell said he wanted more time to review the evidence. Attorneys for the Trump campaign and defendants, which are basically the electors to cast the state's six electoral votes, to prepare for a proposed order by 10 a.m. Pacific on Friday. He said he wanted to give both sides enough time to potentially appeal to the Nevada Supreme Court. Evidence of voter fraud emerges in Georgia. Security video from State Farm Arena shows poll supervisors telling all observers to leave as counting was stopped for the night on election night. When the room was clear, four poll workers are seen pulling numerous suitcases from under tables stuffed with ballots. They then began counting the ballots without any supervisors or observers present. Georgia's governor now wants a signature audit of Georgia ballots. Thanks for listening. We are USA Radio News. When thinking about life insurance, my accident reinforced you never know what tomorrow might bring. That's why I reached out to AccuQuote. AccuQuote helps people find a life insurance policy that meets their needs. Since 1986, they've helped millions of folks save up to 60% on their life insurance by comparing the rates and features of dozens of top-rated life insurance products. A healthy 50-year-old non-smoker can buy a half a million dollars of 10-year level term for less than 45 bucks a month. A 60-year-old under 120 bucks a month. Longer or permanent terms are available. Even if you already own life insurance, you really need to check out my friends at AccuQuote. Don't worry about health issues. Remember, they help me. As a pastor, I'm concerned about your soul and helping you to make sure your family is taken care of. Life insurance is more affordable now than ever, so don't make them wish you'd made that call. 877-437-4781. Call now, 877-437-4781. 877-437-4781. availability vary by state. 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, the Illinois teenager charged with fatally shooting two people during a summer protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, is to stand trial following a court's denial Thursday of a motion to dismiss the charges against him. Rittenhouse's legal team had filed motions to dismiss the charge of possession of a deadly weapon by a minor and one of two charges of reckless endangerment. Kenosha County Court Commissioner Laura Keating ruled that both charges will stand. Partisan politics plague much-needed stimulus funding. USA Radio News, Tim Berg. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says the relief bill should address a pandemic, but instead he says Democrats are focusing on cats and cannabis. They're going to outlaw big tigers, and then they're going to legalize cannabis. They're picking weed over the workers. They're picking marijuana over helping the much-needed money we need to go forward. McCarthy speaking during his weekly press conference on Thursday. From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg. Welcome back to the Trump Tater. Excited today to have Dallin back with us and uh, Randy Watt, our chief of police. One of the things I'm glad that you you brought up was um, how the stigma has changed. And uh, I know, like when my husband was in the military, that stigma just and we're a decade probably younger than you. Um, that still was there, and so he was afraid to get help on some issues because if he did, then it could limit his 
career you know development and yeah. things mm-hmm. so i'm glad to know we talked off air about police officers are allowed to get help and not lose their jobs on this so can you talk a little bit about that what's available to our law enforcement yeah. but before you talk about what's available talk about the atmosphere that our law enforcement is in in today's world and how that's impacting their their mental psyche and i'll bring up one instance that was on uh, instagram last week of uh, some police officers over by the um the mexican market i can't think of the name of it um and they were arresting a young man that was on crack and there was four or five police officers and and they had people videotaping and yelling Mm -hmm. at them the whole time um, is there videotaping? And right. how how does that impact? I mean, how do they overcome that constant barrage of just hate? Yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, I, in fact, I had to address that incident uh, on KUTV because uh, they had asked why weren't the officers wearing masks. The, the whole the whole concern through this incident was why weren't the officers wearing masks? Well, that's where they shifted it, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. Uh, so um, the environment right now is even higher stress than the normal stress because my people at risk um last week you know we have 250 civilian and law enforcement employees at the ogden police department and i had 22 off uh, with covid um and so every call they go on and every contact they make uh, they're at risk and there there's a public there's a police officer safety issue and that is in some of these calls they need to be able to communicate immediately and a mask substantially uh, reduces that so we leave the decision on on the wear of the mask on the type of the call to the officer at the time knowing that by having the mask off he is accepting even greater risk so there's a great deal of stress uh, even more so that that is going on now. Same thing with our fire department, particularly our emergency responders uh, with the Auden Fire Department, because they're going on cases where they don't know why the person is ill, um, and and of course uh, COVID plays a role there. So stress is high. So when you have that lack of personnel, are there procedures or safety, uh, I guess, uh, rules and regulations that are instilled that have to be like such as two yeah, people responding to a call? Absolutely. You have two and twenty-two people off, and all of a sudden it's one person responding to a call. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah, we we get the effect. Uh, you know, we do our best um, uh, to keep manpower up. We we shift some people around as we need to from different bureaus uh, to ensure we have a. Uh, we meet the minimum manning requirements on the squad. But we also do other things, and this is what kind of got lost, is, you know, we've we've issued over 15,000 masks uh, since the uh, mask mandates or mask recommendations, because there hasn't really been a mask mandate in this state. But um, I think there is now, though. But, well, sort of. Yeah. Well, sort of. Uh, if you're not social distancing, you wear a mask. Well, that's an if. Yeah. Uh, so um, depends on who you listen to. Yeah, right? exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So um, anyway, um, w- you know, we've given out over fifteen thousand uh, masks, and we've given out over twenty five hundred cloth masks that are reusable. Those fifteen thousand were disposable masks, gallons and gallons of sanitizer. Uh, off- we we at least twice a day, if not three or four times a day, we sanitize work areas. Uh, we uh, officers sanitize their cars when they report to work, and uh, they're required to sanitize their car after every person sits in that vehicle. And we have sanit- sanitization stations at the outdoors at the police department. Uh, so, I mean, we're taking constant measures. Well, you can think what it's like if you're a police officer and you're you're out there making contact, 15, 20 contacts a day with various uh, civilians, and every time you're you're cleaning yourself off, you're throwing away a disposable mask, or you're putting on a different cloth mask just in case it's 
you know, contaminated. And you're going back to the station, and you're sanitizing your car. So how much added stress is there? So uh, we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing it uh, in people. We're seeing it in um, sick leave use. We're seeing it in, in a variety of other ways. So as a leader, um, and I imagine that you do have experience, a lot of experience in this because of your military experience before, but... Um, as a leader, how do you push, like you said, those safety concerns or opening up to talk about PTSD within your law enforcement? Yeah, well, uh, you know, we, we've, we've recognized for years this problem, but there's been very, very little um, awareness prog- in terms of awareness programs or in terms of, of interdiction or intervention programs for law enforcement. And so we decided here at the Auden Police Department, and part of it based on, on my experience, is to go out looking and find the right tool. And it just so happened the right tool was a company called Providence here in, in Ogden. Which actually, they're actually in South Ogden, but nobody really recognizes South Ogden. <laughs> they call it Ogden. Uh, and so, um, and, and they, were, they are a, a provider of, of mental health assessment awareness for DOD, for the Department of Defense. And they've been with them for 12 years. Well, they got together and they put together a program related to law enforcement, made some adjustments to it. We worked with them on that, and we rolled it out uh, here in the Auden Police Department. And uh, we found it to be beneficial because particularly within the first week, we literally saved an officer's life, an officer who had reached the point of suicide being their last resort, and they were in the process of, of doing it. Uh, so we're, we're, we currently have that program. Uh, we have a number of officers that, are, that have accepted that there is not a stigma. We, we had to build specific policy. I, as chief police, I don't know anything about who's getting treatment. I don't know about their assessment scores. I don't know anything, and I don't want to know anything because I want the officers to feel to get the help they need. I want the officers to, to know that, that uh, their conversations, their assessment and their conversations are confidential. Um, so what, I get a report. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So I what happens if, if you have an officer that's going to counseling and, um, you know, the, the counselor, whoever just says, look, this guy's not in the right, you know, mental state yeah. to be on the streets or to be interacting with, with society or with children or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. just because of where he's at internally. How do you get notified of that? Or, or is that, that a goes, reality? That goes to the Human Resource Department. The Human Resource Department tells me, it's a different department of the city, uh, tells me. Um, what needs to happen. Sure. This and, person needs time off or they need to be right. shifted to a different... The, the one caveat to me not knowing is if it's an immediate safety concern. Mm-hmm. And then what the counselors do is they follow the counseling protocol. They call 911 right. and, and, they, and they get the person introduced. And, and sometimes they can. It's, it isn't their purview to do a commitment. Uh, but... We haven't had any of those, but we have identified that we have a number. I get a report, and it says, you know, seven people are high risk for alcoholism at the present time, alcoholism substance abuse. Uh, They're high risk for uh, debilitating levels of depression. They're high risk for this or that, and they're in treatment. Great. That's exactly the outcome I want. We keep functioning, and and they are getting the help they need. And the other thing is, as part of this program, because what people don't realize is PTSD, depression, 
those things uh, cross over into family members. And so I have a number of family members that are utilizing the same program and sure. treatment. Yeah. So, okay, so we talk about the, the PTSD within the police department, but now let's, let's look on the civilian side of it. Because as we talked about with, with COVID, there's a lot more mm-hmm. abnormal. I, yeah. I really liked what you said earlier, that PTSD really is a normal way of responding to abnormal situations or occurrences. Right. So right. we've, to say the least, 2020 has been a very abnormal occurrence. <laughs> the whole year mm-hmm. um so how do your police officers know or or have the skills and tools to handle the ptsd that they may be facing when they respond to a call sure. when they knock on a door uh almost 70 percent of our police officers are trained in what's uh called crisis intervention techniques or cit uh, and we're constantly uh, training that recognizing mental health issues is a big deal and as you know we talked about police reform a while back and one of the things that the proponents of police reform and among their various things are is that more mental health services available. Um, at least being able to de- identify mental health crisis, what we did is we created the MCOT, the uh, Mobile Crisis Operations Team. So uh, on calls, the dispatcher has a series of questions she asks the person making the call. Is this person in a mental health crisis or is this person you know, risk of harming others and so on and so forth? And so through these questions, we don't dispatch a police officer, we dispatch a mental health worker. We've had that program for over a year, and it's paid, paid interesting, uh, very, very good de- uh, dividends. And so uh, identifying the right response or identifying when a police officer shows up and they can identify mental illness, an issue, illness is an issue, they have resources that they can bring to the scene that are better equipped to handle that. The, the personality, the type, the traits, the values, the type of person who makes a, a good, very good mental health counselor is in a different realm than the person who makes a very, very good police officer. Sure. And so trying to equip police officers to be mental health workers is a, is, is a non-starter. So we have to find alternative means and mechanisms and, and ways to do this. What police officers are good at doing is they're good at de-escalating people. Uh, you know, we, have, we have over 95% success of de-escalating high-risk incidents. So what I'd like to talk about when we get back on the Trump Twitter in just a minute is begin talking about, um, oh, man, my brain just went dead on me, but... Uh, other resources that are available for the population mm-hmm. at large. I mean, and we may not be able to get a ton right now, but uh, let's start an introduction and then we sure. should continue this conversation on another podcast. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Stock market have you nervous with all the massive fluctuations? With the hope for a COVID vaccine on the rise, shifting political landscape, and the election at an end, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. With Vantage Point, you don't have to. Text MONEY to 411411 to find out how our technology can forecast market trends up to three days in advance with incredible accuracy. Text MONEY to 411411 to get what you need to stay ahead of market trends and find explosive moves before they happen. Vantage Point's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds. Stop guessing. Start predicting trends 72 hours in advance. Text MONEY to 411411 and experience Vantage Point for free. Text MONEY to 411411 so you can protect and grow your capital now. Don't wait. Text MONEY to 411411. Go to vantagepointsoftware.com for terms, conditions, and privacy policy. I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. 
The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy! With a recession ending, if you've been putting off building your business, now is the time to act. General Steel will meet or beat any price on a pre-engineered steel building of the same size and specifications. Act now before steel prices go up. So call us today for free information. Call 800-965-1290. Hi, this is Stan Ellsworth. You know, I know a little bit about history. I mean, me and that Harley and all. But social media, well, that's a mystery to me. So I turned to the good folks at Little Cloud. They helped me develop my social media. They call it an online footprint. I'm a pretty big guy. Little Cloud, they've created a pretty big online presence for me. Let them help you. Visit their website. Visit my friends at littlecloudmedia.com. Welcome back to the Trump Tater Podcast. Excited about this opportunity we have to discuss something that's very important that I'm sure impacts um, all Americans right now. I kind of I, I said on my podcast yesterday, I feel like I'm in two movies right now. The Groundhog Days and one of the worst episodes of the Twilight series combined. <laughs> that Every day I wake up and it's like, this again? <laughs> Are we yeah. still here? Is this not really a nightmare? And uh, so I, I have to believe that all Americans, because I feel like I've tried to handle this in a way that hasn't impacted me as much as I think it has others, because I just try to live my life. And uh, But I see it all around me, and it's definitely out there. And some people may not recognize it as post-traumatic stress disorder. Maybe it's just a heightened anxiety levels. Uh, depression levels, isolation, I mean, but all that out there can lead to a very dark spot for people. Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes we have to be a little bit careful, a little bit careful about, uh, you know, labeling PTSD. PTSD has to do with specific circumstances and traumatic impacts. But accompanying PTSD are great levels of depression, uh, uh, confused thought, and a variety of other. It can actually lead to physical uh, symptoms as well. And, um, you know, when you look at the recipes for solving, and I, you know, and I'm an example of that, uh, talking to people, uh, talking to the right people, um, the counselors have saved my life um, because they, they, you can, you can once you once you gain trust with a counselor, and and you begin talking, they they know and they understand you and they and they help lead you out of dark places and why you know a great deal of, of my struggle was why why am i like this you know i'm not like this in my daily job i'm 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 happy i'm you know i i love what i do but there there are, there are two identities there's this identity that 
is happy and, and loving and enjoying what he's doing, and then there's this very subversive identity that is attempting to self-destruct. How, how does that happen? How can that happen? How can you be two people? But, but I'm, I'm proof that, that you can. Um, so what are the remedies? You know, what are the things that we do? I, uh, you know, I t- part, of, part of my um, resource, if you will, is, is, is my faith. My faith plays a huge role, ongoing and, and helping role. But my faith has also been a little bit, not my faith, but the, the mechanisms of my faith have been disrupted because of COVID. Because I always drew great strength of meeting with my friends and shaking hands in, in my faith and, and, and hugging and those kinds of things, but drawing strength from the people around me. Uh, uh, simple things like going for a walk, uh, allowing my brain to clear, getting out of the environment and going for a walk. And then you have things like, uh, you know, the governor of California has just banned walking. Um, Crazy. Yeah, yeah uh, bike riding, walking, unnecessary walking, unnecessary bike riding, unnecessary transportation. Um, okay, lock me in my room with my fears. Lock me in my room with my anxieties. Lock me in my room with my pain, and, and let's see what happens. Um, that, that, that's not, that doesn't work. Another one, um, and I know Dallin will appreciate this, uh, study after study after study has shown that mental fitness is tied to physical fitness, and physical fitness is a great vehicle for improving your mental health and for improving your, your mental fitness, for easing, because it, it releases chemicals, and those chemicals are counter to the chemicals that get involved when you're anxious, that get involved when you're depressed, when you're getting a... And I'm not talking about clinical levels, I'm talking about those daily levels and as stress builds you need an outlet and physical fitness can can be that outlet doesn't mean you have to be you know uh, a, a, a super physical fitness specimen like Dallin it just <laughs> simply means that that you have to you have this outlet that that uh, burns energy creates a positive energy flow and force uh, mentally releases endorphins and other things that calm and settle and bring pleasure because a lot of what happens in the brain is, is due to the release of chemicals and pleasure and pain and those kinds of things and working. Um, reading the right things, avoiding destructive behaviors, uh, avoiding pornography, avoiding addiction, avoiding um, uh, substances that, that create false chemical signals in the brain, avoiding overeating, avoiding the kinds of things. And, that, and unfortunately, the, all those things have... Through coronavirus, uh, drug yes. adi- drug addictions, alcohol, yes. alcohol consumption's gone up. Yes. Pornography consumption's gone up. Absolutely, I've gained twenty five pounds. So, I mean, <laughs> oh, absolutely. And yeah, so I... all all those things. I mean, it's easy to to point out that we shouldn't do these, but when you don't have, um, you know, sometimes when you're trying to get rid of a bad habit, it's not just trying to avoid the bad habit; it's replacing it with a good habit. Right. And when those good habits are being limited then you fall back on your bad habits. Mm-hmm. But I want to give a shout-out to uh, Mayor Caldwell and uh, to our county commissioners for keeping Ogden open yeah. uh, and Weber County open. I, I'm just very grateful for that because I, I happen to live as I come up 42nd Street to get to my business. Uh, we have a little segment of South Ogden there, and they had the, the park taped off and the basketball courts taped off. And it just put this sick feeling in my, mm. in my stomach. I thought, oh, my gosh, this mm-hmm. is, people need that right now. But uh, in Ogden and Weber County, we had leadership here that recognized the need of this outdoor recreation of being able to take a bike ride yeah. and a walk and take their kids to the park. And, uh, again, just that increased fear and just not that alternative to some of these bad habits. Yeah, well, and we took a lot of criticism for that. Uh, mm. I mean, we would meet with the mayor daily. We would have these discussions. And... 
and um, and with and with the county commissioners, and uh, we'd get beat up. We'd get beat up, beat up by people from state offices. We got beat up quite a bit by local advo- advocacy yeah. groups. You know who who uh, who you know believed that a lockdown was the best thing. That that that. Being alive was more important than being free. Uh, well, we could we could get in a long discussion yeah. over over that. Uh, yeah. But um, the thing is, is that Ogden, um, we, we're getting hit with coronavirus like others, but we're not seeing the rate of failures. We're not seeing some of the extreme levels of things that are happening in other parts of the country and and in like you know, other parts of the state where more drastic measures are are, are put in place. Yeah. Anyway, I just, again, want to thank our leadership in this community because I saw that as just a godsend. I go on walks, and people were very respectful, you know. Mm -hmm. They would kind of separate out as you're crossing on a path. I think just that common sense of giving people good information. And uh, even with my customers, I mean, they've always given each other space. They wear a mask. Some may not wear a mask, but they still give that social distancing space. So. Uh, I think just kudos to Ogden and Weber mm-hmm. County on their leadership on this. I agree, and I, th- I think we can be respectful. We can, I think we can protect the vulnerable, and I think we can continue to have the economy moving, and I could think we can continue to have human contact, and I well, think we can do Well, let's talk about protecting the vulnerable. Just I, I know this segment's almost over, and uh, so we'll have to get into this again. Is Again, I lost the last eight months of my mother's life in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. She lost that. Four mm-hmm. months, they were isolated in their rooms, getting meals brought to them yeah. three times a day. Mm-hmm. These older people didn't get haircuts for four months. And this is, you know, when a, a woman is used to getting her hair, especially at that age, set oh, yeah. every week. Yeah. Uh, shouldn't they have some rights if, if what they want? And uh, maybe, and again, we, my mother and I talked about this from the very beginning. I'd rather her pass away from coronavirus, which she ended up doing. Then lose those freedoms. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. so it, it's a tough call. But, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about people who have been isolated from their families for a long time. You know, I'll, I'll never forget talking to one of my neighbors who they had finally got a, a chance to see their grandmother by standing outside the building and looking through a window at her and waving at her there in her, her bed in the isolated sad. in the retirement home. And I think, how sad. Yeah. Well, the gardens, I had, where my mother was, and I'll, I'll give a shout-out to the gardens because I think they've done an incredible job for my mother the last seven years. They did set up a room. They took one of their residents' rooms, and they built a, a plexiglass wall mm-hmm. with a microphone on both sides mm-hmm. where people, and it, it actually was nice. It wasn't the same. There's not that human connection. Mm-hmm. There wasn't going over there making sure the rooms are tidy and they had the things they need. But I appreciate that, what the gardens did on that. Yeah, and, so. and, and good places tried. They, yeah. they're, they're trying. So I had an interesting conversation. Sorry to butt in, but I had an interesting conversation the other day where um, we talked about, I was with an individual, and we talked about the whole risk versus reward with with COVID. And he said, you wonder why we have to be so regulated and lose a lot of freedoms, because if, if we did what you just said, Jamie, and we just said, don't they have rights? They should be able to live how they want. Well, look how careless Americans are with their health, the way that we eat, the way that we um, don't work out our schedules, you know, our pornography addictions, the um, um, diets, everything, you know, the the alcoholism. 
He said, so that's why we have to regulate because people just don't take responsibility. And I said, but isn't that crazy? There's no regulations on any of those things. Yeah, and we don't want them. If you them. see those as, as, as negatives, yeah. Yeah. well, you can't compare COVID to that and say, that's why we have to do 300, it. 300,000 people die of obesity. Yeah. yeah. More than coronavirus. We, we talked about the yeah. smoking numbers. Wasn't the smoking numbers 280,000 or something like that or 400? Well, I can't we remember. We finally have a Supreme Court that says, you know, we don't lock down liberty just because of a pandemic, you know. So. so I'll let you have the last word. Well, it's good to be back. It's great to hear from you, Chief. Yeah. More than just uh, the fist bumps at the gym. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So we'll have to do this again. We got more. We got more to talk about. Okay. So we'll have you back on to further this discussion. We're all going to go find resources. So in our next conversation, Absolutely. we can give more resources out yeah. to our Absolutely. listeners. Love to come back. Cool. Hey, okay, we'll see you Monday on the Trump Tater. Mm-hmm.